This is the Ned Group Investments Podcast, a space where you can learn more about our fund managers, the funds they manage, as well as getting up-to-date and important developments affecting the investment world and how they might be relevant to you. And then we're on to our final speaker today, and I'm joined in the studio by Anne Sedgwick, and Ant is the Portfolio Manager of both our Ned Group Investments Rainmaker and Entrepreneur Funds. Ant, thanks so much for joining us and battling the smoke to get to the side of town. No problem. Thanks for having me, Dave. We have uh, armed you with a clicker there, so yeah. I think without further ado, uh, you're welcome to go through your presentation. Thank you. Thanks very much, and uh, good morning to everybody. Thanks uh, for your interest. Um, last up, so uh, let's, let's, let's keep it sharp and punchy. So for long-suffering investors and who've had exposure to the domestic equity market, uh, as a proxy here, the slide I'm showing is the is the JSE All Share Index, which goes back a little bit further than some of the other indices, which are perhaps a little bit more relevant, but uh, have shorter time, um, uh, historic time periods to look at. And you'll know that uh, for a long time, the equity market has severely tested the patience and the trust of investors here in South Africa. The yellow lines, the uh, really just show the All Share Index trapped in that range between 50 and 60,000, which you can see it's stuck in for a period of ne- over nearly seven years from 2014. Moved up and down a bit as we, you know, we had that little flash of, of, of excitement at the end of 2018 when Cyril Ramaphosa was elected uh, as uh, to lead the ANC and uh, that so-called Ramaphoria area, but really did nothing. Uh, you can see the extreme event of the COVID-19 uh, crisis crash which uh, now on, is on record as the as the as the fastest and most severe uh, equity market crash, not only here in South Africa but in all equity markets, but equally so, interestingly, the fastest recovery, and that's illustrated there by the uh, the the red line of the crash from the end of February last year to the bottom in ninth on the nineteenth of March, and this tremendous recovery that we've uh, we've seen subsequently. So in the context of this you know, enormous recovery that we've seen, uh, I think many investors are sitting there and wondering to themselves, you know, we South Africa structurally wasn't in a great position before we hit COVID. Now we've had COVID. Sure, we've seen a recovery in some things, but many industries still facing, uh, facing headwinds. And structurally, South Africa still faces big problems. So considering we've blown through to new highs, is it all over? Should we be reducing equity exposure? Should we still be retaining what we've got? Um, uh, or, or, or is there more legs to run? And I'm hopefully going to give you some perspective on that that might give you some answers in that regard. So just as a quick flashback, these are slides that we've used quite frequently over the last few years. First of all, it's the sort of five factors that have been structural problematic areas for South Africa. I'd ask you to have a quick read through those. Uh, that block on the top left in the sort of 18 to 19 period, the problems that were structurally facing us as, as a country and, and arguably still are, are, are largely intact. We'd hoped that with the, uh, the change in, in, in emphasis with the replacement of uh, Sora Ramaphosa for Jacob Zuma, that we would see, and we have seen, structural changes in the composition of the cabinet, uh, a more business-friendly, uh, a less corrupt approach to the way of doing business here in South Africa, and that we could look forward to a fresh way of doing things. We've all been frustrated in many respects with the degree of progress this ha- that's happened. And as we sat here a little over a year ago, pre the COVID crisis, one of our great frustrations was that in many respects, we were seeing very little progress on, on all of these factors. 
And I think the important thing is to look now in April 2021 in the context of the previous slide and in the context of these really, really important factors to say, how are things looking now? Now, for the first time, for me anyway, I'm feeling more positive than I have for, I think, four or five years. Not to say that, um, you know, I'm overwhelmingly optimistic about structurally where this country is going, but in April 2021, if you consider these five factors, the news is better than it has been in the prior periods. So the first chart that I'll point you to is the one on the bottom left and deals with the first factor. And I think this is a critical one. South Africa is essentially the foundation stones of our economy or as a resource-based economy. We're very blessed in that we have a very rich natural resource heritage. And right now, this is really working in our favor. Why? Because many of these commodities are at very high prices. It's got nothing to do with any efforts by the South African government. This is just our good fortune in terms of uh, global economics and global commodity prices. The key commodities here, the PGM metals, don't forget about the lesser ones like rhodium, ruthenium, iridium, um, as opposed to the headline ones like platinum and palladium, who all of which are very high. You add to that gold, which is relatively less important in South Africa's life, also at a very high point. But most importantly, iron ore, manganese, even thermal coal, and of course, commodity prices, particularly maize. All of these in dollar and even rand terms, despite the rand strength, are at very high levels. And so our exports, commodity exports are absolutely flying. Against that, our major commodity import is oil, and that's shown by that orange line. A little bit dated now, and I know it's lifted a little bit, but the gap between those two is extremely positive. That's what's driving the trade trade balance surplus that we're recording at the moment. That's what's driving the RAND strength. And this is very important in that these sectors have very high employee numbers. So uh, relative to the prior periods, the key here is could this be sparking a trickle-down effect of where the resource sector starts it, but it rolls into a whole lot of other industry, the manufacturing industry, all the support that goes into the broader commodity prices and the mining and, and production activities. On political instability and, and corruption accountability, here, I know it's been glacially slow, but it is undeniable that progress continues to be made. We need evidence of accelerating and broad-based economic growth. This is a key question. So although there are good signs that there is some spark and there is some activity and we're coming off a low base, the big question will be the longevity. And I'm going to circle back to that question in a slide on entrepreneur later in the presentation. A rising capital investment cycle and improving business confidence. Again, we are seeing a few small green shoots. The AFRIMAT trading update earlier today indicates, as well as the Rabex one only two weeks ago, we are going to see these results. We're going to see these order books over the course of the next six to eight weeks. But the indications are that those are looking very promising. And we need to see increasing employment numbers and improving consumer confidence. And off a very low base, the chart on the bottom right, you can see consumer confidence, which has really been languishing in the doldrums, is showing signs of improvement. And that was at the end of last year. We still haven't seen the Q1 numbers of this year. Turning to valuation, clearly this is, this is always an incredibly important aspect, but this is fascinating in the context of the first chart that shows how much the market has recovered. 
valuation continues to look quite compelling. And this is because we're seeing a recovery in profits. Arguably, yes, it's driven by the resource sector. And you can see on the right-hand side that the, res- the P on the resource sector at mid-single digits at best looks very attractive. And that despite the huge run we've had. Now, these businesses' market caps are multiples of what they were uh, a few years ago, and we've done very well out of our exposure to them. But the confidence we have in retaining them is that the approach taken by management is not what we've experienced in prior decades. The focus is on the balance sheets are extremely good shape. There's no desire to squander Um, Certainly in the businesses we're exposed to shareholder money on reinvesting all of these profits in uh, in expanding production. And the emphasis is very much on paying the surplus capital out to shareholders. In a business like Royal Baffer King Platinum, which is 10% of entrepreneur and about 2.5% of of Rainmaker, 2 odd percent of Rainmaker, the free cash for yield and the, the potential dividend yield of that business at the moment is 26%. The other point is that, you know, there's, there's no alternative source of yield. This is a chart I've, I've shown before. So forgive me for the, for those of you who, who are seeing it again, but I think it's an extremely powerful point to make because it goes back 20 years. And it's simply the difference between what you could get by leaving your money in the bank versus the dividend yield you'll get by investing in the all share index. Now, appreciate that the dividend yield on the all share index arguably at the moment is artificially low because, for example, it includes all of the banks, all of whom have had to suspend dividends for the last 12 months. So we see a big kick coming in dividend stream out of the all share index, whereas depending on your view on interest rates, they seem likely to remain pretty low. And as a consequence of which, by leaving your money in the bank, or by investing in a portfolio of, of, of decent shares, you get the same effective yield. And this is without making any adjustments for tax. This is simply looking at the gross numbers. If you do that, it makes it look even more attractive. So it's not like there's some alternative. It's worthwhile taking the chance of having some exposure uh, to the market. So if we look at Rainmaker, what have we been doing since September? You'll recall that was when the mandate changed that allowed us to take advantage to go up to 30% offshore. Although the RAND had already strengthened quite substantially from the weakest point uh, during the COVID crisis, uh, it has continued to strengthen quite dramatically. But we certainly didn't want to be sitting there doing nothing and trying to second guess uh, where the RAND was going in the short term, particularly with some quite worrying uh, economic events coming up like the medium term budget policy speech. So we took the decision to get to 15% quite quickly, which we did by about November of last year. And we've used the ongoing subsequent strength in the RAND to gradually increase the offshore holdings, which today are at about 22%, 20% in direct equity, and 2% in cash. What's going to drive Rainmaker going forward? If you look at that breakdown on the right-hand table, you can see the sort of collectively the bigger pools of where the portfolio is positioned. Well, the NUSPAS process combination, I'm not going to spend, it's that we can spend a long time talking about that, is clearly a strong driver. And despite the short-term concerns that we have around some regulatory developments there, we remain with a big position. BAT, I think Omri's spoken about that earlier today, and the banks are big components. You can see the basic materials or resource sector cumulatively about 30% of the portfolio, and you can see where that's focused. We've got 20% direct offshore. And domestic financial and industrial companies, still a big component, 
at about 19% of the fund. Still a big driver of where the performance will be, the ongoing recovery of our domestic uh, financial and industrial businesses. With respect to some detail on the global portion, as much as I'd like to spend some time on it, time doesn't allow this morning. And I think we'll get Steve up here for next quarter and he can talk to you about some of the the, the ideas and some of the bigger positions uh, that we hold there, which are our best ideas coming out of our global equity fund. In conclusion, a last slide or two on entrepreneur. And this is a slide, uh, the point I was referring to earlier. And the big question is, as far as entrepreneur goes, as a pure domestic equity fund, is can this economic recovery, does it have legs? This picture on the bottom left comes out of the first round results presentation for the period to December. And this, I'm afraid to say, does not make for very exciting uh, reading. This is the forecast of GDP recovery that first round, and we have a very high regard for the competence of that management team, are expecting from the South African economy. And you'll notice it's very unexciting. They don't think that in absolute terms we get to the same level of GDP before 2024, 2025. If we have this very flat, lackluster recovery in GDP growth, that's going to be a pretty unexciting environment for domestic South African financial and industrial stocks. And I think you need to be aware of that. While I've sketched a pretty positive picture of how things could work out, if the benefits we're seeing out of the resource space uh, expand more broadly into our economy. If they don't, we're faced with a less exciting prospect. So that's the big question. And of course, that impacts immediately on on employment numbers, because ultimately that's what's going to drive consumer activity here in South Africa. So our question is, are we doomed to the first round scenario or can it be more positive? I don't think it's clear enough to say absolutely it's one or the other. And as a consequence, we try to take that into account in the construction of the portfolio. You'll see some overlap in entrepreneurs' concentration in its positions in comparison to Rainmaker, which I've discussed already. But clearly, it is a very much more a, a domestic business. And you can see that big pool there of domestic consumer, domestic industrial stocks. I'd like to think we've picked the best quality businesses, which is our natural investment approach and style at ABEX. We've got the gearing through the platinum shares, really only two companies, Royal Buffer King and, and Northern, both of which have very attractive volume growth profiles still. But really, we need an ongoing domestic economic recovery, and that will continue to drive entrepreneurs' performance going forward. I think the jury's still out. It's not exactly clear how that's going to evolve. We're doing a lot of work on it, uh, but hopefully that gives you a reasonable perspective of how the two funds are positioned and why. Thank you for your interest. Fantastic. Thanks very much, Anton. Hopefully I didn't put you off too much with my scribbling here. I've got a few questions to ask you. I think we sure. have a handful of minutes. Um, the first question has actually come from the audience. So they preemptively submitted a few questions. And this is quite economic-based. So I'm going to bolt on my own little question to this. But it's around ESCOM, the inability to service debt as well as supply the grid with adequate energy. Yep. The question was, how would this affect GDP in the next three to five years, kind of in the medium term? And then my bolt on to this is, how linked is the local boss to what GDP is doing? And obviously, there's probably two stories there. And then also, are you starting to appreciate companies that are able to generate their own power and essentially um, take themselves off the grid? A few questions there. So the first thing is, luckily, as South African investors, our market, there's more than enough on there that you don't have to feel Mm. you're totally tied 
So the performance of the JSC is not really a function of the performance of the South African economy. And we're lucky to have uh, that flexibility. And you can see it even an entrepreneur with its more restricted mandate is able to, uh, to adjust to that. Clearly, energy availability and the price thereof is a very strong driver of economic activity. So the problem there is not only the availability, but the fact the price mm. keeps going up. And it's up another 15%, I think, was the increase that they got uh, for this year. And so that's going to necessitate, necessitate some thrifting because a 15% increase in an, in an input cost is really not a very difficult thing to handle. However, you know, while ESCOM has still got a long way to go, uh, rather like my first point, we've come a long way since 2018. We've seen a tremendous increase in the independent power producers. We've seen a change in attitude from the state with respect to engaging in the independent power producers, allowing mining companies to generate their own electricity. So there's still a long road to go, but at least we can see a change in attitude, a change in policy, and we're seeing rubber hitting the road. I've just traveled down from uh, from the Northern Cape through the through the um, uh, the iron ore mining area all the way back uh, back to back to Cape Town. And I hadn't done it for some time. It's incredible to see in that Northern Cape just the scale of some of these plants that are already mm. up and running. So it's not really that huge in the mix yet, but it's we're, we're, we're making very good progress and it's a start. Mm. I know our parent company, Nedbank, are quite aggressively trying to yeah. almost defossilize their, their lending and look more at the green and renewable space and supporting a lot They've of those very successful. larger and mid-sized mm. companies. Yeah, so There's very little available that you're with the other yeah. question you asked that you can invest in uh, right now. Interestingly, there's a business called Revigo, which is, about, which is going through an IPO process at the moment which is a sort of a parcel of, of, of IPP operators, actually coincidentally run by an ex-colleague of mine, uh, Raven Hendricks. Is that IPP in the renewable space? It is, yes. Okay. All, all renewable, uh, all only renewables. Mm. We have had a few investors actually ask us, how do you gain access to renewable energy? And it is very challenging in the listed space. And I think renewables now making up what is about 4,000 megawatts of our... Yeah, it depends how you want to do it. Revigo is really like an, like an operator of it. It's more just like mm. a utility mm. where... It's got risk, obviously, because it only has one client, being Eskom, and then it's got long-term contracts, and it's really just a a, um, an, a gap between the, the or your income stream and the cost of, of, of funding it. So not a very exciting business in terms of operational upside. Yeah. You know, you look at a business like Rabix, which is 3% of, of entrepreneur, they've done a lot of the construction work around preparing all of the ground and everything for where these plants yeah. are, are, are being built. And clearly there, you've got much more operational gearing and why we hold that as a position in the fund. And then I guess we can talk blue in the face to how the banks have really suffered over the last sort of year or two. Uh, you yeah. don't hold any net bank, but I believe you hold decent sizes in first round. Um, Standard Bank, um, I think you've taken some nibbles and Capitec as well. That's right. How these shares haven't necessarily started to price in a recovery. How do you view that playing out in terms of the sector and the fund going forward? So the big driver for the banks is actually not really so much how strong the economic recovery is. It's rather how quickly the credit loss ratios move back down into the range of where they've been mm. historically. So, you know, in a bank, there's tremendous gearing to the level of profitability, depending on the credit loss ratios that are suffered and the provisions that are made. Now, with the conversion to IFRS 9, which is an accounting standard, banks have had to be far more aggressive in how they've had to implement. We saw that last year. So the spike in credit loss ratios mm. in 2020 were far steeper and far higher 
than we experienced in the 2008 global financial crisis. Rightly so, because the global financial crisis affected South Africa's economy far less than the COVID crisis has affected our economy. But IFRS 9 exacerbated the steepness of that curve. And really, the driver that we see for the next two or three years is the decline in those credit loss ratios, which will drive growth in profits of the banks. If, big <laughs> if, we can get that e- the economy going a little bit faster, that will only accelerate that process and will drive a bit of top-line growth for them as well. Mm. So, you know, if we get that, it will be a, a, an extra benefit, but we're investing based on just the first bit. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the credit loss ratios. I mean, a lot of people focus on what the Saab is doing in those rates and what the knock-on effect to banks are. I think the Saab's rhetoric is still rather dovish but for the next year or so, but maybe some more sort of hawkish rhetoric we'll start to hear, and that could support the bank thesis, I guess, towards the latter end of this year or early next year. Yeah, you get the positive endowment effect as interest rates mm. start to rise, whereas for the last two years, we've had the negative endowment effect mm. negatively impacting their profits. Excellent. Thanks very much for joining us this morning. And please join us at the same time on Thursday from 10 to 12, where we'll be hosting our international global fund managers, talking through the product range there. Negroup Collective Investments is an authorized collective investment scheme manager in terms of the Collective Investment Schemes Control Act. Negroup Investments does not provide advice on financial products and will only give you factual information. For further details on our funds and to view our terms and conditions, please visit negroupinvestments.co.za